Hey, buddy. Hey, Sarush. How's it going? Pretty good. <laughs> I was distracted. Uh, but what by? Uh, dynamic member lookup proposals. Yeah. So this is something that I think we want to talk about. I'm actually, like, when I go back and reread this, there's a lot of words here. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's actually that much to really discuss. It's is there? pretty straightforward. I think it's lat, lat, latinarianly in-depth. Lat, that a word? Oh. Latinarianly? It's, it's not at all a word. But. <laughs> you want to do a quick mini-topic, and then um, we can maybe talk about this proposal? Uh, sure. So uh, my, my mini-topic here was uh, this blog post from Marco um, almost a month ago now. Actually, when this podcast comes out, it will be basically a month ago titled uh, The End of the Conference Era. And this basically is about, um, well, what the title implies. Uh, it's like he, sa- he says, uh, the, he has a feeling last couple of years that the era of the small Apple-ish, developer-ish conference is pretty much behind us. And uh, I-, I was curious to get your thoughts about this because, I don't know, I, I haven't gone to too many of the like small Apple developer conference things to, to begin with. Most of my conference experience in the Apple world has been with the WWDC, and that's definitely not a small, uh, a small conference by any means. But, I mean, that said, I think I've mentioned to you before, e- even on the podcast, that I find um, that, that some, I, I often find going to a conference like fun, but also like really stressful, and I just don't want to go to too many of them, because it I don't know, it's just kind of a lot on top of, you know, on top of everything else. So I don't know, what what, what are your thoughts about here, uh, about this post? Yeah, it's it's an interesting post to me because on the one hand, I know exactly what he's talking about. Um, yeah. It is extremely stressful to go to these conferences, like you mentioned. It's expensive, It which is the first thing he brings up. It is a really weird format where you just kind of sit in a room and listen to talks that you don't necessarily care about. Um, and you might get one or two that you think are just absolutely bonkers cool. It, it's just, it's just a, it's just a lot. It's just like a serious, intense thing. But on the other hand, there, there doesn't seem to be any like dearth of these conferences. Like I spoke at ten last year, and I, or, well, they weren't Jeez. all iOS developer conferences, but I spoke at a lot last year, and they were, they weren't all like all sold out, but a lot of them were sold out, and like people were going to them. So. It kind of does seem like, you know, you're kind of declaring the death of a thing that's, it's like a, you know, that, that place isn't cool anymore. Nobody, or that place is too busy. Nobody goes there anymore. Um, <laughs> kind of, kind of situation. So Maybe. I, I, I mean, know. I, I see both sides of it. I see the sides of, side of like, well, it's been a, it's been a while since I've really seen a conference that I was like, oh my God, I, I gotta go to this. One example is, um, friend and editor of the show joe chaplinski puts on release notes and uh i went to mm-hmm. that and paid to go to that and that was the last one that i paid to go to uh great conference cool, really cool venue this was back when it was in, Indi- in indianapolis but at the cool. same time like you know they are still fun and cool on some level i, I don't think anybody's going to four paying to go to four or five a year but i think there maybe is still a market Given that people are still putting them on and, you know, still working out? Are people still putting on, uh, like, small conferences, or are they mostly, like, bigger events? Um, yes. The only conference... Go ahead. I, I think the only conference I went to last year was Strange Loop, which has gotten a lot bigger over the last... Um, over the past couple of years. 
this this past year in 2017, it was split up between two venues for the first time. Uh, partly because there's like so much demand, right? Right. Um, which which is a good thing, but uh, that that's definitely not like iOS specific. But I'm wondering how many like how many of these how many conferences like that are small conferences, you like can actually really survive. Yeah, and then the survive is kind of an interesting question as well because they, they don't tend to go on for that long. Yeah, I guess I that's think different three four from... years is about the average lifespan. I mean, I think Strange Loop grew a lot and mm-hmm. I think it's part of, you know, part of why it's been able to stay around is that like they're making a little more money every year, they're able to hire people to help out every year. Whereas, you know, um friend of the show Curtis put on Coco Love, he did three years and was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm out. Yeah, there's Coco Love. Uh what was the the what's the one in Canada that that um I think several of our friends went to? Uh Singleton. NS Singleton. Singleton, yeah. Yeah, I, I was sad that I never made it to that. That is a really good one. I went to the last one of that and um, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I had a good time there. There are a lot of conferences still. Um, I will put a link to a GitHub repo that has a ton of information about conferences. Oh, and nice. Is, that, of, is it iOS-specific conferences? or There's um, just... a couple of ways it works. So one, one section is Cocoa only, one is Cocoa slash mobile in general, and then there's like a histor- historical section as well. Um, okay. And the nice thing to do is if you watch this repo, if you click the little watch button, um, then you will get uh, notifications every time conference organizers open a pull request to add their conference to this repo, which is pretty cool. So that way, like, I find out about the conferences as they're sort of announced. Kind of a nice centralized resource for that. That that makes sense. I, I could see that. So I guess I came at this blog post from a very, like, uh, I, I wasn't going to too many conferences anyway. Perspective for you, does this like does this read more as a like the end of small conferences, uh, the the end of the small conference era uh, is is here, or is it like the end of like these specific small conferences that uh, you know that I that my friends and I knew? Yeah, it may be more of the latter, more of the the my friends stop putting on conferences, so I stopped going to conferences. Um, yeah. He brings up, he says, there's no single factor that has made it difficult, um, but the explosion of podcasts and YouTube over the last few years must have contributed significantly. Podcasts are a vastly more time-efficient way to communicate ideas, um, and people who prefer crafting their messages of produced peace can do the same thing and more on YouTube. That being said, I don't see that much, like, on YouTube, and I don't see that many programming co- podcasts in the in the Cocoa community. There are a few, but it's not like... There's so many that, you know, the conference talk is is meaningless now. So yeah, I, don't I know. mean I I kinda see where he's coming from. I mean I have a backlog of like things to like programming videos to watch, CS videos uh to watch. Granted, I guess most of those are like videos of talks from one conference or another in from years past. Yeah. But um yeah, I, I know there is a, a community of people who like produce and and people who consume uh, like screencasts about programming. Yeah, so NS screencast is a cool thing. Um, I've I've had the the fortune of doing a couple of those as well, and that's a really fun format to do. But there's a lot more editing that goes into it, and uh, although you know the money is the money is there as well, like you can actually sell subscriptions to it. Sure, and that's so, logistically easier than than organizing or speaking at a conference. Yeah, even. organizing something in meat space. I'd also throw out, like, uh, there's Gary Bernhardt's uh, Destroy All Software screencasts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Brandon 
Williams and Steven Silas also just launched Point Free, which is a the same type of thing as Australia software, but more functionally and Swift oriented. Yeah. Okay. And there's uh, the uh, Swift Talk series from the folks behind Obj.io. Right. That's a good example too. I, I would maybe point to those before I pointed to YouTube as sort of you know the end of of you know conference talks. Although, and a lot of conference talks are really non technical. You know, there's a there's a big there's yeah. a big space for those as well. It, it's a weird thing. I mean, I think. You know, Marcos had some really good predictions in the past, and maybe this one will come to pass and and be proven correct. And I guess we'll see in the next couple of years. But I'm not, I'm not 100 percent convinced. Just because I've been seeing, like, just in America, we have two new ones this year. One is Swift Fest which are? in Boston, and one is TechieCon, which I'm speaking at in Atlanta. Oh, cool! Um, When's that? TechieCon is March 12th through 14th. Tickets are oh, on sale really now. Soon. Yeah. What are you going to be speaking about? I think I'm going to do my You Deserve Nice Things talk. I think that okay. will end up being what it's about. Um, I don't know if I've seen or heard this one. There are a couple of videos of it online. Uh, maybe we'll oh. throw one in the show notes. Uh, but it's least, a little bit longer, so there'll be some new stuff in the Atlanta one if you're if you're coming to Atlanta. Cool, cool. Yeah. All right, I guess I guess that's all we have on on that. I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting post, and and I know you're way more in the conference scene than than I am, so I wanted to like hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, another big part of it is that a lot of the conferences are in Europe, and that actually makes more sense for the Europeans because they all live so close together. They can take flights to see each other for you know hundred hundred fifty bucks round trip, like really crazy cheap flights. They can mm-hmm. take the train. Um, getting around Europe is so much easier than getting around America. Imagine having a regional train system. I won't let you derail this podcast uh, into a train. No, I totally will. Hey, that was will. a pun. Where's my... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, anyway, all I was trying to say is it's easier in Europe, and that's why you see a lot of conferences in Europe. And it's a little prohibitive for Americans to get to because you're talking about an overnight red-eye to get there. You're talking about six, eight hundred bucks to fly there. Um, you're talking about the lodging and the flights and the everything all adding up and it's, it, 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 it does add up, but if you're already in Europe, it's not so bad. Yeah. I mean, if you're traveling from America, it's a huge commitment and it's a huge commitment for some from Europe to come to like America for a conference. Too. That's right. That's right. Um, I, I am generally speaking interested in, um, the kind of bit that he mentions at the end, I don't know how to fix conferences, but the first place I'd start on that whiteboard is getting rid of all the talks then trying to find a different way to bring people together and far more of them than before. I think this is kind of similar to XOXO's like festival model and, mm-hmm. um, you know, similar to like kind of a retreat model or, you know, one thing that I found to be really, really nice is the time around a conference when all everybody that you know is in the country that this conference takes place in. Like this happened in Tokyo and in Australia last year. Um, mm-hmm. And just being able to say like, okay, I'm on my own, but I also have a few friends in town who are in town for the same thing, speak like same language as me, maybe have ideas on what to do and being able to kind of like organize with them and go to things um, is really fun. And it gives you this option. Like you can opt in to hang out with them or you can opt to do, to do something by yourself. And I think that can be kind of a relief. Um, and I, I'd be interested to see in, uh, some kind of event that's like structured kind of like that, where it's like, we're all just going to get together in this country, in this city, feel free to come here's the general area we'll be in and here's a Slack group where we can organize dinner or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Could be cool. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Maybe that's something that, um, what, what's, what's your project that's supposed to help with this? Uh, which one? The WWDC meetup app. 
Oh, Beacon. That's a good I'm app. I'm totally failing at, like, <laughs> plugging everything. <laughs> we'll start with uh, WWDC this year and see where that, see where that takes us. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, I, I'm curious to see if, if Marco's kind of prediction here proves to be correct. My experience is that a few conference organizers kind of fall off because it is a very exhausting thing to organize these conferences, and then new people kind of pop up in their places and um, and take up the take up the mantle, so to speak. There's there's a conference organizer born every minute. That's right. Uh, on that note, um, on to dynamic member lookup. That sounds good to me. This uh, right. was a very interesting proposal. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this was one that I um, actually like didn't read its first when it uh, first went into review, um, but it's now been slightly revised, mainly for like um, I guess not naming, but for making something an attribute instead of a uh, marker protocol, right? Right. That's the very last change to it, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that was really the the largest change to it from the previous. Um, like from the previous revision, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I, let's talk about what the proposal suggests and then let's okay, yeah. talk about implementation details. What do you think about that? That sounds, I think that makes sense. So the, the goal of this proposal is uh, especially to improve interop with languages like Python. Um, I'm not sure why like Python is the language that, that we're really talking about and interop with here. Do you have any idea why that's like the, I, um, I, I have a suspicion. So, uh, the author of this proposal is none other than Chris, Na- Chris Latner, and mm-hmm. he now works with a lot of Python at Google. And I ah. think he wants to be able to call that stuff. Cause isn't all of the Google machine learning thing, what's that called? Um, no idea, but I totally believe it's in Python. Yeah. There's like a framework TensorFlow. I think all the TensorFlow stuff is Python. Oh, yeah. And so I think he wants to be able to call Python from Swift. That totally makes sense. Okay. I may not be right. And I, I've I've heard rumors that Chris listens to this show. So Chris, if that's right, email me. Oh man, that's so <laughs> much pressure. <laughs> uh okay, so so the idea here is to allow um improving interrupt, we'll say more broadly, with dynamic languages. Um, and there are also some other interesting use cases talking about like JSON processing, everyone's favorite topic to just bike shed to death in Swift. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's basically two parts that have been split up into two proposals. One is right. you want to have um, like a, a property getter and setter, mm-hmm. and you want to be able to call those dynamically. And then the other one is you want to have a function and you want to call that dynamically. Right. So this is just the just the property one. Right. So this... Proposal Swift Evolution 0195 is uh, is intended to allow you to basically look up properties um, on a Swift type that like aren't necessarily defined at compile time on that type, right? Right, that is correct. So, what this does is if you're accessing something with like dot property style uh, syntax um, on a type that has this uh, what, what's this called the dynamic member lookup attribute applied. It means that that lookup is never going to fail at compile time. And what'll happen is if there's not, like, if the Swift class here doesn't have a member by the name you're trying to access, then we'll fall back to basically subscript style access, which gives runtime an opportunity to 
um, to like fetch that, to fetch this property from whatever, uh, you know, from whatever object, be it like a, a JSON object or be it an, an object from the Python runtime that, that you're trying to read. Right, right. So another way to think about this is that, you know, you have some object, you have some reference to some object, and you could just type, you know, my object dot anything you want, any valid Swift identifier, mm-hmm. and that will compile. And then right. at runtime, it will try and do something good with that. And if that fails, it will crash. I believe that is true, yeah. So really, this is a way to promote, like, dot syntax for accessing members to, um, like, subscripts at runtime. Right, right, right. And there's a lot, I mean, this protocol, this uh, proposal goes into remarkable, like, depth and detail. I don't know how much there really is to talk about. Like, this seems like a a pretty clear win, especially again for dynamic language interop. Um, and I, and for JSON, if, if, uh, you know, we're, we're still worried about parsing JSON nicely. Right. Yeah. So the JSON thing is interesting. It means you can have a JSON object and just type dot name and it will look up the name, like whatever's at the name key mm-hmm. and it will just give that to you. And it'll have yeah. some sort of vaguely type thing like JSON object that everything that could come out of it conforms to. And, you can just work with that. You could just type any key you want there. So that's a pretty cool usage of it. But yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, with, with due respect, I actually do think there is some interesting things to talk about here. Okay, yeah. Let's uh, let's hear it. This, so I read the big Swift Evolution thread. It's like 150 posts. It's like, you know. I have not. It is, the I think, at this point, the most viewed post on Swift Evolution. One person brought up something that I do think is pretty valid, is that this really kind of changes how swift works in maybe a good way but maybe a bad way uh, in it, what in what way it, it means that now when you have a like if you look at a piece of swift code and you see an identifier you think that that identifier is going to be checked in that identifier like you, you wouldn't expect that to fail based on the code you've written in swifts one through four but now because you don't know what type of reference that thing is just by looking at it and because the type inference means that you don't have to suggest a type for whatever comes out of that property, means that you could look at this code and it would look like static safe code, but in fact, it's secretly delegating at runtime and could crash just from touching it. Well, I have two objections here. Mm-hmm. I would love um, to hear them. So first of all, you, you have, you'll have some awareness of this because the type that you're calling is going to be marked as uh, like dynamic member lookup. But not when you look at the code. Like, you can dig Definitely. into it and say, like, oh, I, I, I see that this call is, be, is dynamic, but... Sure, and you could, I mean, and you could imagine some, like, tooling that maybe makes that a little bit clearer. Sure, yeah. Um, he also notes, like, Chris also notes here that, like, an implementation could provide uh, several different, like, still safe implementations here. Um, this could always return an optional, uh, meaning that, like, you you will just handle... Um, you'll have to handle what, whatever happens when um, when this lookup fails. Uh, could return implicitly unwrapped optionals so that like you can deal with failures, but um, like handles a common case of like if this thing that I expect to work fails, then I'm just going to crash anyway. And the last option that he notes is like just return non-optional types and basically check and trap at runtime if a call fails. I, I guess I don't know if we've decided on one of these implementations yet, but. I think it, it at least options one and two like can really make clear through the Swift type system that one of these accesses can fail. 
um, or may fail at runtime. And that's one of the things I like about this proposal between that and like how it uses subscripts. This fits into existing language features. Like it, it can work really nicely with the Swift that we already know. Right. Yeah. I, I see that. I hear that argument. It is it it is like I think it is a marked departure though, and the, one of the counter arguments I read in the thread was that like you can already kind of do this with any object because I think any mm-hmm. object represents ID and anything that's ID you can call any message on, yeah. uh, but almost nothing that you work with in the day to day of Swift is any object, especially since they changed everything that's any object to be any. Um, Presumably, pretty few things that you work with are going to be dynamic member lookup and and dynamic callable too. Yeah, right. Clearly, I think the right way to use this is to wrap your these sort of interop types in, um, you know, your application model types so that you've pretty literally you've like contained this API service. Right. But if that's the case, um, and again, we're like literally rehashing what happened in the uh, in the thread. But if that's the <laughs> case, then why why not just use the actual subscripts with actual strings? Well, because that just sucks to write. But it's only four more characters. It's an opening bracket, an opening quote, a closing quote, and a closing bracket. Well, it's actually um, only three more characters. Right, because of the dot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or and maybe the question mark, if you're going to have it return optional by default. Um, I mean, readability, there's really no, there's not a reason for your mind to have to, like, context switch between, like, how, uh, I don't know, between code style, just because you're reading this, like, you're reading slightly different Swift code. Right, but if you're just writing bridges to stuff like Python anyway... Then you know you don't have to look at it that much. You mostly are going to be looking at your looking at your strongly typed Swift wrapper. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other counter argument that I like to this proposal is like, is this really the right time? Like, no even, time like the present. Well, but the, I mean, there are times that are like the present. They're in the future. Um, <laughs> uh, but like you know, Swift is in this like very delicate state of. Um, ABI stability is coming, and every minute that's spent on this is a minute that isn't spent on getting a feature in the door. And I know Chris wrote a an implementation for it. Really, it should just be you know dealing with this proposal and then dealing with like the code review and making sure all the tests pass and stuff. So it should be a pretty minimal impact. But I, I just wonder if this is the right focus for right now. Like, if, especially I think he says there's not much ABI impact. So I think that's good. I don't. I, I don't understand the ABI stuff super well. We talked about it. I think. A long I mean, time I think ago, the but... the potential argument based on ABI stability is just that effort by the Swift core team go, that goes into integrating this. Yeah. Um, you know, even if there's an existing implementation, is effort that's not going to right. other priorities. Or even Chris's attention. I mean, I know he works at Google, but he could be working on sure. other stuff too. I don't know if he still does do work, but that's also another another side of it. So that's the other argument that I like. I don't know. I mean, I don't really have a good counter-argument besides, like, if the core team thinks that this is something worth spending time on, then we can spend time on it. Like, yeah, I, that's fair. The other cool thing that, like, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's open to, like, some pretty interesting abuse that I'm sure that I will do. Um, so, like, if you've ever written any Rails, if you have, like, a model object, you can do... Um, like if it has a name property, like let's say you have a blog post and the blog post has a title, you could just write the function, you know, blog post as in the class dot find by title and then you pass it a title. Um, when we get dynamic callability, you'll just be able to write that in Swift and it'll just convert at um, runtime to the right thing with method missing. Wait, but you're suggesting what that you'd like write but the blog post dot title dot like an actual blog post. T- Wait, what are no, no, no. So you want to you want a finder, right? Like, let's say you want something that will find the first blog post with a given title. 
Okay. Okay. In Rails, the way you'd write this is you write, you know, blog post, the, the, the class, like capitalize B, capitalize P, mm-hmm. dot find by title, and then you pass a title to that method. Right? It's a, it's a class method, and you pass the title sure. to it. Sure. But that method. Okay, why you can't you write that in Swift? Well, you can write it explicitly, but in, in Ruby, that method is metaprogrammed. So all you have to do oh, is define so- the fact that there's a title property, and it actually generates that for you. It generates the lookup for you. Okay, so just like I have to point out here, this is something you could do with sorcery in a totally like Swift type safe, yeah, non abusive way here. Yes, you could. You absolutely could. But with this proposal, you can just do this in raw Swift. Well, not this one, sorry, the next one, dynamic callable. Uh, do we want to touch on dynamic callable here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is the exact same as this proposal, but um, just lets you execute a function as well. Okay, cool. So rather than translating a call here into uh, like a subscripting operation, uh, it'll translate into a call through to a special dynamic call method with an array of tuples of arguments. Yeah, seems basically right to me. So it's up to your implementation of dynamic call to do something smart with those arguments, whether it's, um, again, using them for some sort of language interop, whether it's using them to like dynamically look up an object in, um, in uh, I don't know, in your Rails ORM style database. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you could, just, you could just do that. And that is some shit I would do, Chris. That is absolutely some shit I would do. Oh, believe me, I... I I am well aware. Yeah. So I, I don't know if well, you want to give me I that mean, power, if you, you know? Do that. Well, I mean, you have the power to do uh you've the power to do some crazy things right now, which you like what you're choosing not to do, right? And it's everything is a everything's a trade-off. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You can choose to use this in like really um in like pretty straightforward ways and try to isolate it in your code base in which case you're right you like um may, like syntax maybe isn't quite so much a win although i still argue that it's a huge readability win which just makes maintenance and which makes frankly writing correct code easier right yeah um you can choose to use this to implement uh, some fun like dynamic runtime sort of features within a totally pure swift app yep. which uh you know maybe you trade off a little bit more um you, you trade up a trade off a little more risk for for a bit more convenience um i mean it's all like it's it's trade-offs right and you're not making the trade-off i assume to use like unsafe pointers all throughout your your app because again like the trade-off just isn't there for most use cases right um but so, there i mean it's literally called unsafe you know yeah make, make smart decisions sarush like that's all I, I never, I never signed anything that says I have to make smart decisions. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't make me. Um, no, it, it's. It, I don't know. It, it, dynamic callable, like I think the dynamic member lookup will be kind of cool for some weird stuff like Firebase, where everything is sort of big dictionaries. JSON, everything's just big mm-hmm. dictionaries. Dynamic callable is going to enable some very, very weird stuff. And not not to mention the like base usage that they want of like, hey, you can now call Ruby, you can now call Node code, you can now call um, other runtimes, Python, whatever. But like, also you'll be able to write Swift code that does this, and um, mm-hmm. you'll just have a Swift object that just responds to every single message, and it's your responsibility to kind of interpret those messages and um, and do smart and cool things with them. So, 
Yeah. And I mean, it's also your responsibility to like, again, design a sane API and try to isolate things like this as much as, as, as much as is feasible or as much as makes sense in your application. Um, I mean, it's it clearly something like dy- dynamic callable is something that like, if you are heavily leaning on it is quickly going to become, um, you know, could, could at least quickly become kind of a maintenance nightmare. But there are other things, I mean, there are other things that can become maintenance nightmares. Again, it's really, it's a trade-off. Yeah, you got to use, like you said, your judgment. You use your judgment, right? Uh, This is swift, so so memory safety is preserved, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we we at least have that. And I I mean, I guess this is definitely a a, like slightly weirder part of Swift than than normal plain old statically like static compiled Swift. But um, weren't weren't people really really complaining about the lack of stuff like this in Swift a, a year or two ago? Yes. Or four? They were. This is an interesting one because, like, there there's some stuff that sorcery can do that this still can't do, right? Like, bridging between strings and their, um, their like, bridging between a string and their, like, actual value. Yeah. I'm not sure how to express it, but, like, let's say you have a bunch of enum cases, you want to pass a string and convert to an actual instance of the enum. You can't quite do that with this, whereas with sorcery, you could write code that would like Mm -hmm. generate the right thing to do that so i mean if you gave me the choice between this and something like sorcery i would take something like sorcery but i'm not interested in connecting python to swift i'm interested in making depends on your right i'm interested in making swift more powerful and the the, i want the swift code that i write to be more terse with some of the expressive power of ruby or of something like Mm -hmm. what these proposals enable you to do but um i don't really have a need to connect to scipy or numpy or whatever or TensorFlow. Right. So, right. and if you do, maybe it's good. So, I've I've kind of taken a backseat on the discussion on Swift Evolution just because the people who do work with interrupting these layers really do want it. So maybe they just know better than me, and I've never done this, so I'm I'm not the right person to speak to it. But it's a it's a weird proposal to me. It doesn't seem quite so weird to me. I mean, well, you've been writing get, Python, you know. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I guess that, I mean, that's true. But like, I, we, we've talked for years about Swift gaining some more dynamic, uh, like dynamic sort of features. This, I think, adds some of these in a like fairly, like in, in a type safe and memory safe way. Uh, depending on the implementation, like we can still guarantee that like callers, like that you and your Swift code through the type system know about things that, that might fail and deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't it seems it seems reasonable to me. Yeah. I'm interested to see what this does to the language. This may end up being one of those dark corners like Objective C metaprogramming that nobody touches. It may be something that people who just want to interrupt with other layers touch. And it may end up being something else. So I guess this like the uh previous mini topic, uh just have to kind of wait and see. It's impossible to predict, right? Maybe it'll be the purely do- the domain of um, people who are doing machine learning in Swift and people who are writing JSON parsing libraries in Swift. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, yeah, you'll be able to do some interesting things. That is for sure. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, I, I mean, uh, do we want to wrap up? Yeah, I think so. Anything else we wanted to? Uh, no, I think this is good. No. Good luck. Good luck to Chris getting this proposal in. And uh, yeah. we'll see what happens with five. For a second there, I thought you were talking to me, uh, but in the third <laughs> person, I was extremely confused. Yeah, this is that Chris's on back to proposal, um, dynamically callable types. 
Uh, no. And, <laughs> and, and he thinks it's entirely reasonable. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later, Sir. <laughs> Bye, Chris. Bye.